morning. So open your Bibles, please, to the book of Hosea, chapter 13. We're going through this book of the Bible, Hosea, chapter 13. We'll read there uh, in just a moment. So glad you're worshiping with us on this Labor Day weekend. It's a great privilege to be able to worship together. And it, man, it just felt uh, a little dark this morning and good time for me to tell you that we have a missions cafe that has coffee with caffeine in it. That's a good time to mention that probably, isn't it? And we are, we are glad you um, came today. But let's ask God to speak to us and really to deal with our hearts. And you know there's a difference between just attending church and really coming with a sense of expectancy and open, openness to what God wants to do. So let's pray together. We're going to read that text together, and then we'll talk about God's Word together. Lord, thank you very much for the blessings you give us. And high on that list of blessings is the privilege we have of opening your Word and being able to hear from you and to be able to see your perspective on life. And so would you do that in our lives? Open our hearts, our spirits to what you want to say, what you want to do, and we give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's go to Hosea, Hosea chapter 13. Remember this book of the Bible, uh, the prophet Hosea called Mary a wife of promiscuity and, and have children of promiscuity. And Hosea, of course, would leave and then come back. He would buy her back. And, and God is doing all of this to show us this is really the story of Israel. Because Israel was made by God to be his, and yet they ran from God. And this is the story, really, of of us. God makes us, those of us who name the name of Christ, he calls the church the bride of Christ, and yet very often we forget about God. And so let's talk about this subject, Hosea chapter 13. I'm going to read just the first six verses of this chapter. The Bible says, when Ephraim spoke, there was trembling. He was exalted in Israel, but he incurred guilt through Baal and died. Now they continue to sin and make themselves a cast image, idols skillfully made from their silver, all of them the work of craftsmen, people say about them. Let the men who sacrifice kiss the calves. Therefore, they will be like the morning mist, like the early dew that vanishes, like chaff blown from a threshing floor or like smoke from a window. I have seen the Lord your God ever since the land of Egypt. You know no God but me, and no Savior exists besides me. I knew you in the wilderness, in the land of drought. When they had pasture, they became satisfied. They were satisfied and their hearts became proud. Therefore, they forgot me. Let's talk this morning on the subject, don't forget. The Bible says, the Lord said, they forgot me. And I, I want you to remember what God, who God is and what he's done. My sweet mother-in-law had a stroke some years ago, and she's had memory problems from that and other things now for these last several years. And so she forgets things that she has always known. She can go back far into her past and remember things well there, but she forgets the more recent events, including the loss of people that she's uh, dearly loved and cared for. And so she finds out day after day after day, sometimes multiple times in a day, about losses that she's suffered, things that she can't remember. She often says, why can't I remember? Why can't I remember? I may say something spiritually, something like this is true spiritually for many even many who name the name of Christ, it's as though we forget who God is and forget what God has done and forget what God wants from us. It's a common story. And let's note some principles from this passage that teach us about remembering God and remembering what he's done. And there are three, three principles I'd like you to note with me this morning. If you're a note taker, let's write these down. Number one, don't ignore your past. Don't ignore your past. Now, we can't live in the past, but we can learn from our past. God reminds us of the past. He tells us about the past so that we can learn from it. And let's go 
uh, to verses 1, 2, and 3, where we see something of the history of Israel and their story and how God wants Israel to learn from their past, how God wants us to learn from their past. In fact, if you forget your past, if you ignore your past, if you don't learn from your past, there's a couple of dangers that come from ignoring your past. One is we repeat mistakes. So the Bible says, it tells us about the mistakes of both Israel and our own mistakes. Verse 1 says, when Ephraim spoke, there was trembling. He was exalted in Israel, but he incurred guilt through Baal and died. Now, Ephraim was the name of the son of Joseph, one of the sons of Joseph, and he became the name, that became the name of one of the tribes of Israel, and sometimes that word is used to describe Israel as a whole, the northern kingdom as a whole. And the Bible is saying here that Ephraim, who had every opportunity to be great in Israel, every opportunity to follow God's purpose and past, didn't do that so well. The Bible says he incurred guilt through Baal and died. Baal worship, if you've read through the Old Testament yourself, if you, if you do that at some point, you'll come across Baal worship fairly commonly in the days of the Old Testament. And the people, instead of just worshiping the Lord, would often make idols. And often Baal, this pagan god, became a god that they began to worship. Not a true god, but a, but a so-called god that they would worship. And the Bible says when they did that, they incurred guilt. That's what verse 1 says. They incurred guilt through Baal and died. It's the story that we've seen over and over in the book of Hosea. You reap what you sow. And that God who is a God who loves, God who is a God who cares, God who is a God who forgives, also is a God who is holy and just, and a God who rightly judges us. And that became the story of Ephraim. And we can learn from that. We can read through the Bible for ourselves one of the gifts God gives to us is the opportunity to learn from the Bible, from the stories of the Old Testament. We can see all the mistakes of those who have gone before us. If you want to, you can learn from the mistakes of all the great leaders, all the great failures, all the great examples, all through the pages of the Bible. And God, by the way, have you noticed, does not cover those things. He doesn't pretend them away. He tells us the good and the bad and the ugly of history, and we have an opportunity to learn from it. Verse 2 says, now they continue to sin. This isn't just something that happened in the past. But God speaking of Israel says, they continue to sin and make themselves a cast image. Idols skillfully made from their silver, all of them the work of a craftsman. That is now, Baal worship wasn't enough. Now they just become idolaters and they make beautiful images in their own hands. But they begin to worship them as though they were gods. And they even kind of mix true worship and false worship. People say about them, verse 2 says, people say about them, let the men who sacrifice kiss the calves. That is, kiss the idols while worshiping God. Go to the temple to sacrifice, but mix that with the worship of the idolatry. It's not as uncommon in our own day as we'd like it to be. So we sort of halfway worship God and halfway worship the world. It's not uncommon, is it? I mean, you probably can see that in the history of the church of America, but you can see it if you want to beyond that, because it's not just the sins of others that we can learn from, but our own sins, from our own sins. And if you don't learn from your own mistakes and sins, you know, you're going to have some, you're going to make some uh, wrong choices, you're going to have some failures, but God wants you to learn from them. I, 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 this is a baseball area, if you're new to the St. Louis area, there's a lot of a history with the St. Louis Cardinals, and this year has been a kind of an unusual season. The excitement level a little higher 
Albert Pujols and Yadier Merlina in the last years, and there's some milestones that they hit, and so there's been some excitement about it. But even the greatest hitters in baseball fail all the time. All the time. They pop up. They strike out. It happens all the time. And God is reminding us that we can use the failures, the mistakes, the problems of our past and the past of others to learn from them. So I want you to learn from the mistakes of others. Read the story of David, all the things God did in the life of David, but how he failed at a critical moment and how God teaches us through that. Or from the kings of the Old Testament or from the prophets of of the past. But I also want you to learn from your own mistakes and your own past and your own failures. It's amazing how often we just don't learn the lessons of our past. And it is not uncommon for us to repeat the same mistake for a lifetime. Did you know that? If that's you, listen, you're in in, uh, plenty of company because there's a tendency for us to never learn to overcome our past. The sins of our past often just stay with us. But God is reminding us of this lesson. I want you to learn. And you don't have to stay a victim to your past. And you can overcome. Did you know that? You can overcome. Maybe you've had a problem with anger, and your dad had a problem with anger, and your grandpa had a problem with anger, and if you could go back farther, maybe. But did you know you don't have to stay in that life forever? Did you know that? Maybe you've had some struggle with some sin in your life, and it's just, man, it's just over and over the same, the same sin. But you don't have to stay a victim forever. God wants you to learn from your own mistakes and mistakes of others, and they're great teaching tools for us. So danger number one of ignoring our past is that we can repeat mistakes, but the second danger is we can waste our lives. And that's really what verse 3 is saying to us. Therefore, there will be like the morning mist, like the early dew that vanishes, like chaff blown from a threshing floor, or like smoke from a window. You know, none of those things last. Mist and dew and chaff and smoke. We had a great opportunity to learn this lesson today. There'll be like the morning mist. Maybe it's going to Uh, go past the morning in this case, but this morning it was kind of foggy. I was out early this morning, a little bit foggy. And, but you know, the sun comes out eventually, that'll just burn off. Or this time of year, it gets cool in the evenings and the dew will be out on the grass, but then the sun will come out and burn it off or chaff. Uh, Maybe you have, uh, probably you have a threshing floor in your backyard and you know this, but you know that chaff is the inedible part of the wheat kernel and it has to be separated from the edible part before it's used and so that winnowing fork would be used to throw it in the air until eventually the lighter chaff would be separated from the wheat and then it would blow away or the smoke from a fire where you're cooking in your house and you open the window and it blows out these are all short-term things that don't last and that don't stay and the bible says if we're not careful We'll just waste our lives. We'll just waste our lives. They'll be like mist or dew or chaff or smoke. So don't ignore your past. The pain, the problems, the difficulties, the struggles. God can help you to overcome your past, to grow from your past, to learn so that your tomorrow is a better tomorrow. And I want you to note this. Unlike the mist and the dew and the chaff and the smoke, what you do for the Lord will last forever. Did you know that? The Bible says you can't give away a cup of cold water in the name of the Lord without having an eternal reward. It lasts forever. 
There's this guy named uh, Count Zinzendorf. Was his name? Count Zinzendorf. You like that name? It's a great name for if any of you are thinking about a children's name. Zinzendorf. I mean, it, so Count Zinzendorf was uh, a couple hundred years ago was a church leader and really helped in the missions movement and um, what's called the Moravian missions movement. It was influential on guys like Wesley and Whitfield and others. And he said this. He said, especially to those serious Christians, he said this. He said, preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. Preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. Now, we still remember Zinzendorf's name, but most of those who heard his words, we don't have, they're forgotten. They're forgotten. They preached the gospel. They shared the good news of the gospel. They took the word of the gospel to the ends of the earth. They died and were forgotten. But did you know that what they did for the Lord will last forever? You might not know Zinzendorf's name, but the Lord does. And all of those who followed him, who heard those words and said, I'm going to share the gospel to the ends of the earth, or I'm going to live out my faith in my own community. I'm going to live out my faith in my job and in my home and among my family. All of the people who heard that, whose names have long been forgotten, their names are not forgotten in heaven. The Lord knows them well. Their Father in heaven knows them well. So don't ignore your past. Instead, learn from it. Some of you brought some baggage, some pain, and some hurt from your past to this place. People wronged you, and you want to hang on to that and and nurse the grudge or allow it to just dominate your life? God's got a better way. Or you come to this place with pain from your own making. It wasn't anyone's fault but yours. You made your own choices, and there were choices that you're not so pleased with as you look at it now. But you don't have to remain a victim forever. The Lord is able to forgive. Did you know that? He is able to forgive. He is able to cleanse. He is able to restore. He is able to renew. God can do a work in your life. So learn from your past. God might even use the pain of your past as a means by which you minister to others. We often say don't waste your pain. God will use that pain if you will will give it to the Lord. Let the Lord sanctify it. The Lord will use that pain as a means by which you minister to others. You're not the only one. You're not the only one who will go through pain. And perhaps God would use your pain as a means by which you can help others who will face those difficulties in life. So don't ignore your past. Learn from it. Maybe you you have some things, some, some baggage, some idols in your own past. Maybe there's been some, some form of Baal worship in your own past, but God would remind you he's got something better for you. And you can learn from the mistakes of others and your own mistakes and have a brighter tomorrow. There's a second principle I'd like you to note with me this morning. Don't neglect the truth. Don't neglect the truth. So in verse 4, the Bible is going to really uh, give some truth to the nation of Israel. A verse of just, he's just going to uh, speak truth to them. And the truth matters. The Lord says, the truth will set you free. Now, we live in a day when truth is blurred. Is that fair to say? Blurred. We say things like, there's no such thing as truth, as though that's a truth, we say. Or there are no absolutes, as though that wasn't an absolute statement in and of itself. There's no getting around absolutes, and there's no getting around truth, no matter how hard we try. But we say things, our culture says things like, it's your truth or my truth, 
or truth can be what I feel or think, or I can change truth all the time, or, and God says, truth is, did you know God just tells you the truth, and it is not based on your feelings? May I say respectfully, your feelings don't change the truth. What you want, what you like, does not change the truth. It might change how you respond to the truth, but it doesn't, it doesn't change the truth. The truth is true. And God tells us the truth because it's true. And then we respond either appropriately or inappropriately to that truth, but it doesn't change. So our generation has blurred the truth. Vicki and I were driving the other day, just driving around in our car. We saw a bumper sticker. I don't know. I just Bumper stickers, I just find, I don't know why, I just find them fascinating. I find myself looking at bumper stickers. And I saw this bumper sticker. It said, maybe you've seen this. It said, uh, I, I used, the bumper sticker said, I used to be cool, now I drive a minivan. It says, have you seen that bumper sticker ever? So it's some guy, he probably used to drive a Mustang or something, and then he got married, had kids, he drives a minivan, and doesn't feel like he's cool anymore. Nothing cooler than being a parent in my mind, but that's what he thought. But here's the problem. Vicki and I, because we're not as young as we used to be, and our eyes are not as strong as they used to be, Instead of reading it as, I used to be cool, now I drive a minivan. Here's how we read it. Just, we just, our eyes were a little blurry. And we said, both of us read this way, and we started talking about it. We thought it said, I used to be cool, now I drive a human. That's what we thought it said. And so we had a long discussion about what that bumper sticker must have meant. I used to be cool, now I drive a human. Now, when we figured out it was minivan, it made a lot more sense. But for a long time, we had a conversation about why would they say I used to be cool, now I drive a human? Are they saying something about their children? Is it some saying? Do the young people have some saying? Have they stopped saying groovy and now they say human or something? You know, I, I'm not up on the lingo. I'm sorry. Is that what it is? And long discussion. And then finally, oh, they were saying I used to be cool, now I drive a minivan. Okay, when it got into focus, when we got close enough we could see it, it made sense. Now, much of our world doesn't seem to make sense because we're looking at it through the blurred lens of our culture that says there's no such thing as truth, and truth is just what, whatever you feel, whatever you want it to be, that's your truth, that's not my truth. But God's got, He tells us the truth, and the closer we get to God's truth, the, the more it comes, the more we see how the world, how God's plan and purpose makes sense, how God's how God's word makes sense to us, how we can see how this is the purpose and plan of God for us. And so don't neglect the truth. Let's go to verse 4, where the, where the Bible is going to give truth to Israel, this promiscuous nation, like Gomer married the Hosea, had run from her husband. Israel has run from God. Here's what, here's what God says in verse 4. I've been the Lord your God ever since the land of Egypt, and you know no God but me, and no Savior exists besides me. So he says two things. First, he's, he's saying here, God delivers. I want you to know this truth. God is a God who delivers. I will deliver you from sin and your past and your pain and your problems. I am bigger than all of those things. He said, I've been the Lord your God ever since the land of Egypt. And notice God is a personal deliverer. He says, I'm the Lord your God. I'm glad we have the God. But there's something great about recognizing that he is my God. The Lord wants to be your God. Did you know that? Not for you just to know about him, but to know him. Not just to be God who is out there, but God who is in us. 
the Lord our God. God is personal. Salvation is personal. It's not just a corporate, I love that we gather together and worship corporately. But God also cares about you specifically and individually. God knows your name. He knows everything there is to know about you. He knows every problem, every need, every opportunity. God is personal. And God delivers from bondage. He says, I've been the Lord your God ever since the land of Egypt. The land of Egypt was the land of bondage. It's where the Israelites found themselves in slavery. And God delivered them from that bondage, from that slavery, to the promised land. And it's an analogy that God uses in his word to remind us that God moves us from bondage to sin into the freedom of salvation. God can forgive you of your sins. God can give you new life. You know, it's really the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is God loves you even though you're in bondage to sin. You're separated from God by that sin. But God loves you enough that he sent his son. It's personal. God sent his son to live for you, to die on the cross for your sins, to rise from the grave for you, so that if you will repent of your sin and place your faith in Christ, Christ will save you. He'll save you. It's not just a God, but your God. God delivers. And notice as well that the Bible says God is the only deliverer. Verse 4 says, you know no God but me, and no Savior exists beside me. No Savior exists besides me. The only true God. He says the only way to salvation, forgiveness, and to heaven. Sometimes Jesus is, um, man, he can be just so direct and so countercultural. So in our day, it would be popular for us to say, our culture would say, there's lots of ways to reach God. If there is a God, there's lots of ways to reach him. And, you know, what, as long as you're sincere and Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And he, he claims, he makes this big claim that there's not another way. That you can be sincere, but sincerely wrong. And that Jesus' death was necessary for you, for your sins to be paid. That Jesus' resurrection was necessary for you to have hope of your own resurrection one day that jesus is the only one who can forgive you and save you the only one worthy the only one capable the only one willing and man so he's saying i'm not a way but i'm the only way to the father that's a big claim from god's word you know why god tells you that because it's true you'll never be able to get to heaven because you got nice enough, you know, and God said, oh, look, man, you're right. I'm going to ignore sin now and just change my mind. Ignore sin and just, because you've really been nice lately. Or because you went to church enough times. I'm just going to say religion will be enough. You just do, you know, just cover the, on the outside, just look, smile at the right time, dress up, look good on the outside. I'll just ignore the inside. No, God says, I, man, I am the way for you to find life and meaning and purpose God just tells you the truth. Sometimes the truth isn't that popular. Have you ever noticed that? Sometimes it's just not that popular. But it doesn't stop it from being true. I might not like the truth, but it doesn't stop it from being true. Our culture has made the truth so blurry 
may I say respectfully, our, we can't even recognize the truth of what God teaches about gender. God makes us a, a man or a woman, and it's not based on our feelings or our wishes or our wants. Because if we've blurred it, but if we could get close enough to see the truth of who God is, we'll see there's a God who tells the truth about us. Man, we are sinful and separated from God by our sin. We have a tendency to go our own way and make our own rules, but, but God has done something about our sinful condition. And the cross is God's answer to God's love and God's holiness come together. And we can find forgiveness in life. So don't neglect the truth. Don't, don't miss the truth. That's the foundation upon which we can build our life. There's a third principle I want you to note. Don't forget your need. The Bible tells us don't forget your need. Sometimes we can almost begin to think, I don't really need God. Maybe on rare occasions, maybe in some certain circumstances, but the Bible says something differently. The Bible tells us a couple of needs we have. One is we need the rain. Verse 5 says it like this. I knew you in the wilderness in the land of drought. Now, this is a rainy day. You might not feel like you need any more rain, but boy, you let it get dry enough around here. When the cracks in the ground begin to show, when everything turns brown, you recognize we need the rain. And God is saying to Israel, I knew you in the wilderness in the land of drought. Do you remember that time when there's no water and I had water come forth from the rock? Do you remember the time when it was thirsty, you were thirsty and dry, and I provided for you? Maybe some of you are here today saying, if I were honest, man, my, my soul is thirsty. It is dry. It is deserty. My heart is, spiritually speaking, it's cracked and dry and cold. And God reminds us we need the rain. We need the rain of his presence. We need the we need the reign of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Sometimes spiritual drought comes because of apathy. We don't, you don't even have to do anything for it to rain. It just, the sky, to, this morning when I came in, this, I could see the clouds everywhere, of course, and the low clouds blowing across. And you could see activity in the atmosphere. But on dry days, you hardly notice anything. It's a blue sky. You hardly see anything at all. It doesn't take anything. It doesn't take any clouds to make apathy. Apathy is easy. Drought comes easily. Some of you perhaps are living in apathy, spiritual apathy. The things that ought to matter, you've hardly given a thought to. Maybe you've gotten so focused on other things in the world that you've forgotten the things that are big and the things that count. Drought sometimes happens because of isolation. We get isolated from other believers. God is the one who made the church. It's not the, it's not the idea of man. It's the idea of God. God is the one who tells us to gather together. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as is the manner of some. He's the one who puts us together. He's the one who shows us the benefit of being together. Isolation is dangerous to our souls. We need some people in our lives who will pray for us and pray with us. We need some people who will encourage us, who will sharpen us, and who will strengthen us. There's a value in that. We grow dry in disobedience when we disobey God, when we say things like, I know what God says, but I know what the Bible teaches, but I know what God wants, but and pretty soon we find our souls dry through apathy and isolation and disobedience and a thousand other ways, and we need the rain, the rain of God's spirit, the rain of God's presence. So don't forget your need. Your soul is in danger always of growing dry, and we need the rain that can only come from heaven. 
But we also need the warning. And verse 6 gives us a great warning. I want you to follow as I read this verse. When they had pasture, so here's a land, here's a, a nation who came out of drought through the wilderness into the promised land. And when they had pasture, what will happen? Were they thankful? Were they, no, they became satisfied. And they were satisfied and their hearts became proud. And therefore they forgot me. So there's a danger that comes with blessings and plenty. Did you know that? There's a danger that comes with it. You probably got up this morning, if you prayed at all, you said, God, would you bless me? God, I'd like some blessings. If you don't mind, give me a big, a big heaping dose of blessing. If you don't mind, Lord, lots of blessings. I like blessings today and lots of them. That's the kind of prayer we often pray. There's nothing wrong with asking God for blessings. If God has given you plenty, that's a wonderful thing. If God has provided for you, and may I say, frankly, in our nation, we all live in plenty. You may say, well, I don't have that much compared to that guy. But you compare yourself to the rest of the world, and probably you're living in incredible plenty. There are many parts of our world that don't know the slightest thing about the kinds of things that we take for granted in our nation. And there's a danger that comes with this plenty. It's the danger of the Western church, the danger of the American church. We have so much that pretty soon we begin to think, I don't really need God. I'm sort of satisfied with where I am. And that leads me to sort of become proud. My heart's kind of proud. I'm okay on my own. I don't really need the Lord. And pretty soon we forget God himself. That's the danger that comes. Israel found themselves with plenty and blessings, and they lost sight of the mission, and they lost sight of the master. They forgot about the mission like those Moravian missionaries saying we need to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. They forgot about the mission, like the persecuted church around much of our world is willing to sacrifice in every way for the cause of Christ. And pretty soon they lost sight of the master. I have outside of my uh, window a wasp nest that's being built there. A bunch of wasps have been building. Outside my window, I said, it's very helpful. I'm glad it's on the outside of the window, not the inside of the window. And so I've just been fascinated. I don't get that close to wasp nests very often of course it's kind of dangerous to get near a wasp nest this time of year they get uh you know can get really aggressive and i've just watched them building that nest and they're preparing they've got a mission they're preparing the next generation that's the mission of those wasps and they are pouring all of their energy and effort into preparing that mission they work at it all the time and let me tell you they are willing to sacrifice you get close enough and they'll prove it to you and they'll they'll even they're even willing to be injured or even to die for the mission they have. Sometimes when we have plenty and God's blessed us a lot, the danger is we sort of lose sight of the mission. And so words like sacrifice sound odd to us. Sacrifice. Because we start thinking Christianity is just about me and what's in it for me and what can I get, what can I have. How was I blessed? God, I uh, need more blessings. Would you give me, I need a big help of, um, heaping help of blessing today. If you just don't mind, God, that's really what I, that's really what my Christian life is all about me, right, God? It's all about me, what's in it for me, what I get. And God keeps reminding us there's a mission far bigger than that. And all the blessings I've given to you are so that you will bless. And all I've done for you, all I've given to you is so you will give. And I want you to think of others and not just yourself. I want you to see the big purpose for which I've placed you here. I want you to see that you're on a mission to make me known in this world, that God has given you this responsibility at your job or in your home or in your community to make a difference for his glory. And so the Bible says, 
If we're not careful, we lose sight of the mission. And when we do, we lose sight of the master. And we get satisfied, the Bible says, just complacent. I'm okay where I am, even though my heart is dry and cold. And then we get proud as though we don't need God. We can do it on our own instead of humble, instead of recognizing our weakness and depending upon God's strength. We start thinking it all depends on our strength. And then we lose sight of the master. The Bible says, therefore, they forgot me. Listen, it's happened. We forget. I wonder if Gomer, I wonder if Hosea ever wondered this about Gomer. You know, Hosea is the prophet. He's told to marry a wife of promiscuity, this woman named Gomer. And he does. And she lives, even after their marriage, a life of promiscuity. And I wonder if he ever thought to himself, I wonder if Gomer ever thinks of me. I wonder if she remembers how much I loved her, how much I sacrificed for her, how I tried to think of her and not myself, how I tried to give and forgive. Do you think God ever thinks about us and looks at our heart with amazement that we forget so quickly? How much he's loved us. How much he's given to us. The sacrifice he made on our behalf. If he looks at us with amazement that we would forget so quickly that our heart would grow dry and cold. And so he whispers to us, don't forget. Don't forget. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Christian, is your heart cold? Have you forgotten? I'm thankful for a God who invites us back, who restores and renews. Would you say, Lord, there's some apathy in my life, there's some complacency and some coldness. Lord, if I'm honest with you, I know that I have a tendency to forget the mission and forget even you. But you know the Lord has never forgotten you. And he still loves, he still forgives, he still restores. And if you'll come back to him, you'll find forgiveness full and free in Christ. Say yes to him today. There's some of you here who need to be saved. And when I talked about the message of the gospel, the Holy Spirit did the work of convicting you of sin and righteousness. And in your heart, you knew that you had sinned against God, that God is a holy God. And God does that. The Holy Spirit does that in our lives to help us to see we need him. And I wonder today, wouldn't you say, Lord, I want to turn from my sin. I want to place my trust in you who died for me and rose from the grave for me. And I want to receive you as Savior. Christ will save you. And Father, I want to thank you for this great book of Hosea that's reminding us of these truths that we need. We recognize, like Israel, like Gomer, we have a tendency to forget. We allow apathy or busyness or complacency or disobedience to get in our life to such an extent that we hardly think about you. 
we get satisfied and proud and forget our God. And so, Lord, would you this day call us back to yourself. Help us to remember what you have done, to remember who you are so that we can become all you want us to be. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.